Hi, Chris. How are you? Yeah. Hi, Rod. Let's do this. Let's do this thing. So here we are, Awake from Sleep, episode 12, and we're going to be on time this time. So, a little bit of follow-up from last week, straight into that, and we've only got one item of follow-up, as far as we know. The name of the game was not Hyper Light Drifter, that was very popular, that I tried to control it for. It was Sayonara Wild Hearts. Um, really interesting art style, really well done game. The idea is it's sort of a, a beat runner type game, there's music, you need to collect hearts and things as you went along. I plugged my PlayStation 4 controller into my Apple TV, it worked fine, never did anything else with it ever again. I've got two PlayStation 4 controllers, two Xbox controllers, loads of Pro controllers for my Switch. Never paired anything because there's just no, no compelling reason for me. No, you've got you've got a PS5. Why would you? And I, again, that's part of the problem with the Apple TV, isn't it? It's well over hardware for what it is, which should be, as we said last week, an efficient media streamer. Agreed. Should we move on to the news? Let's move on to the news. Not that many news items since, since last we spoke, although one that, a couple, one that sort of called out to me that I have picked up on is that our bug fix that we talked about, our point one release that came out uh, in the last few days, they haven't then gone on to patch older versions of the operating system. So there are still critical security vulnerabilities in Big Sur and Catalina. And as we know, there are still some Macs stuck on Big Sur and Catalina. And I find it a bit upsetting that they're not taking critical security vulnerabilities that seriously and patching those. Yeah, it's odd that one because I thought they were quite good at going back and patching previous OSs, but seems a, I don't know, it doesn't seem good form for Apple because I largely push Apple people towards Apple devices and OSs because stuff gets patched. We buy it at work because we know we're probably going to get four or five years of good software out of a device and it will last. So I find that a little frustrating that, that they're not doing it, especially if they know about it, but unless they're using it as a drive to get people onto Monterey, I don't know. It's not a great drive, though, is it? You don't want to leave, because these are kernel vulnerabilities and people can jump in and read memory. Other applications can jump in and read memory, which is a fairly serious problem. Mm. So I think they obviously need to get on and patch it. I know their focus is always on the next thing, particularly with WWDC coming up. But I'm with you. One of the things we say to people as Apple is it's not entirely secure. Of course, it's not entirely secure. No no operating system is. And and the days of saying, you know, Apple don't get viruses and Apple don't get this are a long way behind us, if it was ever really true anyway. But they're generally more secure in the same way that most Unix-based operating systems are because they don't have the attack area that a Windows does. We'll ignore the server side of that for a little bit. But uh, it's just a bit disappointing they haven't gotten it fixed. And they should. Yeah, agreed. It's not leaning into their their public perception that well is it no so we'll keep an eye on that and we'll report back on if they do manage to, to, to patch them and if they just leave them in the wild then very poor show apple maybe they're struggling for bandwidth when they're two months out from wwdc maybe one thing a company the size and value apple should have are a team of developers whose entire purpose is to fix you know security problems because the reputational harm that comes out of one of these is actively exploited for somebody notable or something notable like a movie or a big password leak or or something like that they can't take that kind of chance really uh, uh, no agreed agreed good all right so that's i think to keep an eye on in a rare update uh, apple's apps uh, which are their productivity apps which were iOffice. it was called iOffice back in the day i work i work which are called pages a word processor keynotes a PowerPoint or presentation type alternative. Numbers, an Excel or spreadsheet type alternative have actually been updated to a, a whole new version, the now version. Yeah, so one thing I do think Apple is doing a good job of with these three apps, it's just little and often updates. Just, <coughs> they just plug in away. I quite like the apps. I use them for all non-work things. So for work, I use everything Microsoft. For everything personal, as part of delineation, 
I use the Apple suite. And like I said, I think it's nice just to see, just constantly just doing little changes. They're not lock stepped in with the OSs. They just seem to just drop them on, on an odd schedule, but they are continue getting a little bit of love. So I, I think it's a good, good step. So for a major version, for numbers, the Excel uh, spreadsheet alternative. There are three headline new features. You can copy a snapshot of table cells without formulas or categories or hidden values. That's not rocket science. You should support that. If what you want is just the contents of the cells and not the formulas, great, you can do that now. You can edit a font size more precisely with up to two decimal places. That's some very precise font making, that is. I need that. I don't need a font at 12.13 or something like that. That's That seems a bit fussy. And you can create formulas and quickly fill cells with autofill using voiceover. And again, I'm not going to speak to a spreadsheet, but I suspect if you have a disability, that may be a useful thing. So that's good. I think it is good. They're clearly getting down the big things and they've started getting to the smaller things. So there's clearly a need for these. I think it's good. Yeah, and, and speaking of a thing that I don't know that anybody ever needs, when we turn to the pages updates, you can now publish directly to Apple Books with file sizes larger than two gigabytes. <laughs> yeah, I know. Is that something we've, I've been crying out for? I, I, mean, I will say hand on heart, I use numbers a light amount. I use pages never at all, other than there are for show notes here. And I use Keynote an awful lot because it's significantly better than PowerPoint and I do a lot of presentations. So for out of these three apps, I'm most interested in what Keynote can do, but I'm afraid publishing to Apple Books from uh, Pages is not a thing I'm ever going to do. And they've got a few other changes, haven't they? You can put insert page numbers anywhere. They do the font thing to two decimal places. And quickly start writing a new document on your iPhone, just touch and hold the icon on the home screen. So I'm guessing there's a, you know, on the drop down menu, you can just go new document. So I, I, I don't know. I think it's, it's good they're doing it, but it's not a major release, is it? It's just a minor point update, I would suggest. Oh, sorry, they've also got read comments and track changes using voiceover. Yeah, useful changes, I suppose. And for Keynote, the, the one I'd care about, I can you can now enlarge slides to a maximum zoom level of 400% and edit font sizes more precisely with two decimal places. Uh, this is version 12. These, as you've said, are fairly minor incremental updates. I'm sure they're useful to somebody. And, and that's it for Keynote pages and numbers updates. Just on your note on Keynote, I'd love it because it just does not play well with PowerPoint when you import export. I just don't go near it because it's not it. It's just not worth that hassle for corporate life. Yeah, we use it academically quite a lot, and I haven't had that many problems, you know, going to and from. It does odd things with sort of header sizes and slides and things like that, and the formatting can be off, and the fonts can be off, but the content's generally there, and the animations are better. And one thing that Keynote does really well that I'm not aware that PowerPoint does is if you're trying to do something instructional or you're trying to record a presentation that you're giving in, you know, an online media, which which happens increasingly these days. So if you're pre-recording a presentation for a conference, it will let you use the webcam to put yourself in the corner of the presentation while you're talking. So you can actually record yourself talking to a slide and talking over what you do, rather than having to use a third-party program. And that's really good. I've used that a couple of times. Yeah, no, that, that does sound good, to be fair. So well done. Keep bringing the keynote updates Apple, because Google Docs ain't going to cuss it from that point of view. Moving on to another bit of news. There is a new partner for the tap to pay functionality that we were talking about way back at the beginning of this podcast when we started. Yeah, so I was just reading about this one. Apparently the platform... Aiden will announce they will now offer it. I don't even know who that is. Never heard of them. I guess it's good. It's it's more than one. So it, yeah, it'd be good to see it out in the wild and how people are actually going to use it. But okay. Yeah, we'll we'll see when it comes along. You know, again, they could be straying into antitrust stuff with with these kind of partnerships, frankly, uh, and tap to pay. But we said at the start, it's quite good for the small business owner if they can just have an iPhone and get on and start taking payments for flowers or donuts or whatever it is that they're trying to sell on a market or something like that. I think it's you know it's it's a, it's a useful function to offer. Crazy they haven't up till now, but let's see. We're great. That's it. That's all right. I might make a little note in our notes there that uh, at 
I don't even know how far into this we are now. Oh my god. 8 minutes 52. So I think that's it for the news, Chris. Not an awful lot in the news this week, really. No, WWDC is going to take the window at the cells so we can move swiftly on to media. Have you watched Pachinko? Have you watched any more Pachinko? Nope. Nope, and neither have I, and I still haven't watched Coda. Naughty Rod, slap on the wrist for me. I will watch it by the next time we meet. One thing I have noticed, though, thank you. One thing I have noticed is I had a quick look at my Apple TV Plus uh, app just before we started recording, and I can see that there's Major League Baseball games appearing right at the bottom of my Apple TV app. Yes, yeah, so I saw this in the show notes, so I went and had a quick look, and I too can see it, and I'm not running the latest beta, so um, I'm assuming that's good. Oh, interestingly, I just tapped on one to watch, and it said, allow Apple T- allow TV to use your approximate location. Go on then. What happens if you click it? This is this is fascinating podcasting, this, because it's not going to show I've a clicked, game. No, I've just clicked allowed, and then it says it's tomorrow, 25 minutes past 11, I can watch the Mets at the Nationals. Oh, that's really good. Uh, now, this is a strange one that I understand from listening to Americans talk about baseball podcasting is that if you have a streaming app, you generally can't or you can only watch your local team's game or you can't watch your local team's game. I forget which way around it is. I think it's you can't because they have a blackout, don't they? Yeah, you can only watch it on the local actual broadcast network that's got the rights to that. So if NBC, not knowing anything about how American television and, and live sport or ESPN is probably more likely, isn't it? have the rights for that area that and you're you live in Boston then you can only watch the Red Sox game in Boston you can't watch it on a streaming app like this so yeah I presume in the UK we're safe from that I'd have thought so but I'm guessing it's asking for my location because it wants it in America yeah I, I would have thought you know in in you know sunny England that you're a long way from the, the Red Sox being your local team yeah well maybe, maybe we should log in tomorrow night and try it so 11.50 tomorrow night, we're going to try and watch a game. Okay, well, that sounds like homework for the podcast for sure. I don't, I'm don't. i partial to a bit of baseball. I might have a look just to see how it works, quality of it. So I'm, I'm happy to report back on that. I must confess, I know nothing about baseball, but happy to have a go. The, the timing's bad. I might be asleep by that point, you know. It's, I turn into a pumpkin if I'm not in bed after about half ten. Right, well, I'm winding down homework, watch baseball. <laughs> Fair enough, that's, that's one against me. I hope I do better with that than they do with Coda or Pachinko. Because I presume that... It's it's a live sporting event. Will they be available on the Sunday morning if it, if it's gone? Is it only live and then it goes? That, I mean, that's a question we don't know. An answer we I don't hope, have. I, I hope it's live and I hope it is then available subsequently because in the UK last year, I was trying to watch the Formula One and I had Now TV and you could watch the live races. You didn't have any way to record it or to watch later or do catch up, which was really frustrating. So um, I'm hoping they... They do an iPlayer with it where it's just, once it's been aired, it's then available. And even if there's time boxed, but at least it's available, say, for a week afterwards. Do you think Apple will bring more sports? I mean, we've talked about how the TV is improving and how there's not enough films on there and we could stand to have a few more. Do you think that they have intentions to get more sports? I'd have thought so. I think this is dipping the toe in the water. Otherwise, why are you doing whether it's football, I mean soccer, or whether it's uh, what basketball, American football, maybe I, I think so. But maybe this is just let's try it and see see if we can bring the crowds and take it from there. So it feels like they're building it out in all directions. It is interesting when you look at how live sport is changing because I don't know if you're familiar with Amazon Prime's attempt at this. So they've had some Six Nations rugby matches, which you can only watch on Amazon. They've obviously had tennis, and a major boon for them was when Raducanu uh, won the American uh, Open last year, 
was that was streamed on Amazon. So everybody was suddenly stuck to their Amazon boxes watching what was going on. So I think you've got an opportunity with sport to have that sort of zeitgeisty in the moment thing that you don't get with many other things. Fair enough, Ted Lasso may capture the attention, but it's never going to have a decent chunk of the world watching a sport, you know, an event like that. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think it'd be interesting to see, but surely this has got to be part of a normal term <laughs> strategy. And it's got to be great for around the world because they're just going to pump the prices up as you've got Amazon and Apple bidding. I wonder whether Netflix will get in on it. That is my only concern about this. Is this? It gets more and more splintered all the time. So, you know, I've talked about my MotoGP obsession. You've talked about your Formula One one. That where you can access your sport is very much dictated of where you live in the world and who has access to it. So in order to watch my sport live, I've got to go and I've got to have BT Sport in the UK to do it. And I think in Spain, it's DAZN and, and you know, the, the broadcaster has this. I think the streaming platforms have an opportunity to democratise this to a certain extent. But it's, it'd be interesting to see how it goes. Yeah, I've had to go and pay for Sky so, so I can watch Formula 1, which I feel bad about, but it is what it is. Yeah, it is what it is. So I guess coming back to the point of this, it will be interesting to see where this goes for Apple. What's next? You know, I don't know, World Championship Sailing, have they got an opportunity to grab a sport that's not, you know, in the mainstream and do something with it? Maybe the Olympics one year or the Euros or World Cup, who knows? Yep, interesting space. All right, well, we'll keep an eye on it. We will keep an eye on it. So I think that's it for media. Uh, Moving swiftly along, any updates on games you're playing at the moment, Chris? No, nothing new since since we last spoke, really. So, but I thought we were, I think we're going to review a bit of Apple Arcade, aren't we? And- yeah, I think it's it's worth a bit of a discussion in general about that. So, I've got some thoughts on Apple Arcade, in as much as I saw a comment. I think it was by James Thompson, actually, the developer of PCalc, and not a sponsor of the show. But if you haven't, you should go and buy PCalc. It's not a lot of money. It's an excellent calculator app, and it works really well uh, on your watch, on your phone, or on your Mac, and is a good replacement for what's there. Far more than just a calculator, if you dig around in it. About how he was seeing Apple Arcade becoming shovelware, in the sense, so shovelware is just it's it's like it doesn't really matter. It's just it's a fairly rubbish game. It does what it says on the tin. There's no sort of pride taken in it, no quality, and we'll just push it out the back, and i got to be honest, with the exception of, I don't know, about 10 titles, most of Apple Arcade isn't for me. And I, I think you and I are both fairly dedicated gamers. You've said before that what you really like to do is play threes. So obviously not a lot, an awful lot has captured your attention on there. But how have you found Apple Arcade? I don't play a huge amount, but it does have threes plus on there, which is just Apple buying threes and then re-releasing it, which they've done with a number of games like Monument Valley, Monument Valley 2, Auto's Adventure and stuff. And Mini Motorways is on there too, which I do enjoy. So I've not played it a huge amount, but actually it's worked really well with my kids because it's part of the family plan. They just get it. They've been playing Sneaky Sasquatch and they both have played it through and they love that game. I tried to have a go, but it just didn't really work. It wasn't my kind of game. So I like it that my kids get loads of games that they can play that aren't trying to nick and dime us for credits, tokens, gems, whatever it may be. And so I think it's been great for them. But for me, as some of these interesting games, there hasn't been masses on there that I've wanted because most of the quality games that they've brought in lately and rebadged as these plus games, I've already bought anyway. So it hasn't made a big difference to me, but I think for my family, it's worked really well because one thing the, the children missed when they came off the Amazon Kindle Fires was Amazon did a great kids package where you could just go and buy loads of the store. You you pay like a five for a, a month kind of thing on a subscription basis. And Apple didn't have that originally, whereas this has bridged that gap for, for the children that they can have loads of reasonable games that aren't nickel and diming, that are of 
a quality. There are some games in there that haven't been built for Apple Arcade that have been shoehorned in and they haven't, it's a bit weird, if you know what I mean, like how they're presented and the gems and, and all of that. But now on the whole, I think it's fine. It does what it says on the tin. It doesn't really cost me a lot of money and it just gives the boys something else to do. Which, and they're getting great value out of their iPads. So for me, it's pretty much what I expected we'd end up, but it wasn't what we were sold at the start. Yeah, if it was a hub for new and interesting games coming to the platform, then that's really quite an important thing, isn't it? And, and I agree with you. I think that what you're not seeing are those big sort of AAA titles coming to it. So it is reimaginings of existing games. So Alto that you said there is a great example of that. It was a classic game. Alto's Adventure, followed up by Alto's Odyssey. Apple, T, Apple Arcade bought it, they rebadged it, they put in an extra level, and the, not that there was any in-app purchases anyway, as far as I, I was concerned with it. It was a one-time purchase for the game, and you got on and you played it. Line Rider-style game, you jumped over things, you could do some tricks and things like that. It's very simple, very compelling, you could get on and do it. They rebadged it, they put it out there. I already bought that. You know, I, I, I quite happily gave the developers the money for, for a quality game on, on the platform. I, I don't really want a rebadged version of it particularly, thank you very much, Apple. I wanted new and interesting things to come to it. Now, taking a step back, I don't know how well Apple Arcade is sold. We get it because both of us pay for the Apple family, the Apple Premium uh, account, which is $39.99, something like that. It's an amount of money in UK pounds that's more than 30 quid. And for that, you get Apple Arcade, and you get Apple News, and you get Apple TV, and you get Apple Music, and you get iCloud Storage, more on that later. And you get a library of games in Apple Arcade to work on. So this is available for all my family, and both my kids play games on their phones. Both of them just want to play ridiculous games that are definitely shovelware, as far as I can see, that appear on the App Store. And a few times over the years, there has come an Apple Arcade game along. And I've said, you might play this, you might like it. Many motorways is an example, and a few others. But neither of them will. One of them will just play threes in the same way that you do. So, you know, there, there's the gamer in the family. And the other one plays something involving a black hole eating people, which you just sort of scrolls around a, scrolls around a screen and it eats a town. And that's, that, seem, that seems to fascinate her endlessly. I don't really think it's been a success. And it, it, it's interesting to me that Apple and gaming, I mean, they are one of the largest games providers in the world. And they've got a platform that's in lots and lots and lots of people's hands. And yet, they've sort of ended up as a significant, you know, a game developer without getting very far with it. In fact, I read in Edge magazine, a big gaming magazine this month, about how they feel slightly dirty every time they got to feel an Apple, they touch an Apple device to play a game because of the way Apple treats developers. And you think if that's beginning to get into sort of the levels of journalism or the higher echelons of journalism that talk about games, never mind, you know, that's going to permeate the rest of the market. So if it's coming out in the, of the journalist mouths or out of their pens or word processors. It's not a surprise to me that that sort of slightly grubby feeling about doing this kind of stuff is beginning to permeate the rest of the market. Yeah, I think you're right. And just firstly, real-time follow-up, Apple One Premiere is twenty nine ninety five a month in the UK. So just shy of 30 quid and you get music, arcade, News Plus, TV Plus, iCloud Plus with two terabytes and Apple Fitness Plus. So you get all the pluses. So for me, I think the promise of Apple Arcade was... Really nice developed games, kind of like a game maybe Panic would have developed or, or co-produced, who did Firewatch. I think they're doing another game at the moment. They obviously released Playgate, Playdate. So it's meant to be games that are, you know, maybe wouldn't have been picked up by mainstream publishers. Apple are going to bring them to you and publish them, and that never really worked. So they then went and bought up loads of old back catalogue games. They've carried on with a few of those games that we saw the promise of at the start. 
And I don't know, for me, I think they've hit the right balance because there is something now in there for my family. There's a few bits in there I wouldn't mind to have a go on. So I'm comfortable where they've ended up, but I don't think it was the dream that they set out to do. Other than me, do you know anyone else who's got that level of Apple subscription or subscribes to Apple Arcade? No. (laughs) So you and I are Apple, self-professed Apple nerds. We have a podcast mostly talking about Apple stuff. So we're we're in the ecosystem. I know lots of people with Apple devices and none of them. Even people I push in my family to make use of the service don't. It's interesting, isn't it? It is interesting. I mean, we're going to talk a little bit about iCloud and sort of its environs and how people treat that later anyway. But I just don't think they're hitting the right beat here. I think people, the games people want from iOS are Candy Crush. They've already got it. They don't really care about the in-app purchases because it sort of wastes five minutes for them while they're stood in a queue. I think there were a crowd of people, kids particularly, who wanted Fortnite on their iPads, but we all know how that went with with, with Epic and the rest of it. The big AAA pu- publishers that have come to the platform, so I bought XCOM and I bought Civilization uh, on iPad when, when it came out, because I could see myself playing, and Slay the Spire, obviously, can't, got to get that mentioned in. And there were a significant amount of money. I think Slay the Spire was eight or nine quid when I bought it, and Civilization was £40, one of my biggest purchases in the App Store, actually because it was a quality game when it came out, and there's been all the expansions and all the rest of it. But I suspect it hasn't been that big a hit for Firaxis. Well, it has, because you just don't think to go to your iPad to play a game. So I was away this week, and I would just take my, my Nintendo with me. If yep. I'm going to go away and play a game, I don't really think about playing it on my iPad, my iPhone, my other iPad. It's just not that. I don't know why. I don't know how they've managed to, to miss the boat, because the iPad or the iPhone should be perfect. Yeah. So it just it says something to me about the failure of Apple to sort of bring developers along with them. And the fact that Apple Arcade is nominally the same thing that I can have on my Mac, that we can have on the Apple TV, that we can have on our iPads and our phones, and it should work across them all with or without a controller. And yet, we said in the last show, we don't do that on our Apple TVs. I have tried one, precisely one game in Apple Arcade on my Mac, many motorways. But I had its predecessor, Mini Metro, on Steam on my PC, and it, it, it's not a compelling reason for me, really, to subscribe to something. I get it because I got the subscription anyway, but I really don't think it's, I'd subscribe to it without the, 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 the other valued things within the subscription. No, I agree. I think I get it because it's it's free, basically. It's included. My children get the use of it. I do not. I do wonder, actually, I was just thinking about it as you were talking, because originally when it was released... It was, we're going to do all these indie games and it's going to work on your tablet, phone, Mac, TV. And actually, I was just having a quick look now and actually I found a few games that don't work on, on the Mac and things, whereas their original concept was Apple TV is going to work and Apple Arcade is going to work everywhere. And I think they've had to dial that in. It's going to be these kind of indie games that we're publishing. It's going to be on every Apple device. And they've had to just tweak the levers, but they've done it quite quietly, I think, in the background. Yeah, and for me, it's it's a broader piece because, you know, I, I am a gamer. I've talked before about how I've got a PC under the desk. So I've got Steam. Steam is probably still the biggest games platform in the world. There are competitors these days where there's the Origin Store, there's the Epic Store, there's Good Old Games, there's Humble. There's there's quite a lot of them. But, but Steam are certainly still one of the most major players in the market. And they when they released the Mac version of the Steam platform, it came with quite a lot of fanfare. I remember at the time, Team Fortress 2, first-person shooter game, you could get an item of Aperol for your characters and your your, your little miner or whatever could run around with, with AirPods in his ear. So that was nice when they did it, but when Apple then switched to 64-bit operating systems only, which they did in Big Sur, I want to say, it's two versions ago, 
I think. We always keep saying things without the evidence in front of us, Chris, so it always makes its way into follow-up. Somebody should make a note of that. When they switched to 64-bit, they left a load of 32-bit games behind, and what we what I know from the Steam Deck is that even making use of emulation, so if you're a Linux gamer, they use a, a, a layer of, of software emulation called Proton, where you can emulate some of the Windows APIs for things. So this is the way the Steam Deck works in Linux gaming on Steam works, is it uses Proton to emulate Windows calls for things like DirectX and the rest of it, so you can actually have your Windows games running on Linux. That's a 32-bit dependable, uh, uh, deliverable. So when they moved to 64-bit, they lost all that ability to emulate a load of these um, software platforms. Old games and some modern games depended on it as well. And then they made the switch to Apple Silicon and they left even more behind because you couldn't emulate the binaries in any other way other than Rosetta. So when now you go to the Steam store as a Mac user, the number of games you can play has reduced and reduced and reduced, even over what it was back in the Intel days. So I just think when Apple make the sales for games and how many WWDCs have we watched when there's game developers up, developers up on stage going, look at the amazing metal, we're dropping support for Vulcan and, and the other sort of graphics APIs that a lot of these games depend on. And they're just continually cussing off the nose despite the fact I'm amazed there's any games on the platform at this point. Yeah, I think you raise a fair point. And I don't think I've played a game on a Mac for a long time, not even an Apple Arcade game, because I just, I don't know, for me, I'm just not in that world. But you're right. I think they've made a half attempt at trying to get back into gaming with Arcade. They've then pivoted and then they've then gone in a different direction with the Mac. And maybe they've, they've reached, actually, we can't do everything on it. But they seem to make it work on the iPad and the iPhone. There are so many games out there. And my kids clearly use it a lot for gaming, but I wonder how many adults do bar playing word games. What have you? Well, wordless what it is, but it may happen to your kids, and it may not be the or it may not be the force that it was. But Minecraft was the thing that my kids were were desperately into. I had I I maintained a PC for a while before I got back into gaming myself just for playing Minecraft on, and you can get it on the iPad. Yes, you can, but it's not the old singing, old dancing, updated, supported version that you get if you're on a on a Windows PC. Not even the other any other versions available, or on the Xbox, and that ability to play with their friends and maintain a server world where they can build their Disney castle or the Millennium Falcon, whatever it is, and revisit it all the time, isn't a thing you get in the iPad version. You get a local connection, they can do something there and then, and then it's gone. So that drive towards better, more supported games in a more adult sense of, you know, a gaming world that persists is something that's being left behind by Apple there too, of Apple's. Gaming, I think the ability to have X number of games on the platform is all they care about. I don't think they care about the quality of those games at all. I, I think I concur. I think it's how many games have we got on the platform and how many are in Apple Arcade? They're the two numbers we're, we're hitting. We carry on with that. I do wonder whether Arcade will become more of a thing. Should Reality OS, 3D goggles, AR, VR take flight for them? Maybe, maybe that'll be their vehicle. Because they've got all the they've got all these pieces, haven't they? And they've got places to put things. They're just yeah, I don't know. But gaming is a big deal. Uh, and it's not a big deal in the sense of, oh, you're a nerd, you sit and you play Call of Duty all the time. It, you know, the mother of four who sits and plays, stands and plays Candy Crush, you know, while they're waiting in the bank queue. That's that. They're, they're just a, as much of a gamer as that other person. They may not think of themselves as such, but it's still important what they do. And there's money to be made there, and there's entertainment to be given there, and the device that you do it on is your choice. Uh, it, it, there's a lot more to it, and I feel like they're missing opportunities by not taking it more seriously. Yeah, agreed. But I don't think it doesn't feel like it's going to change anytime soon, does it? No, no. It was just a minor rant. And I thought before we finish the gaming section this week, did you see the news? And I'm sure you have about the new PlayStation subscription. 
I did, but I don't think I know enough about it because I think I know there's now three tiers. I'm interested. I've already got the base tier, which I barely use, but I'm interested to see where this goes. So why, why don't you why don't you tell me what you think about it? Yeah, so you're right. There's the the current there's two current PlayStation plans. There's PlayStation Now and PlayStation Plus. PlayStation Now is a means of effectively streaming games, older games, PlayStation 2, PlayStation 3 games, and having a library of about 400 plus games accessible to you as a PS4 or PS5 owner. Then there was also PlayStation Plus, which you needed to have online multiplayer, and they gave you two free games a month, two-ish free games a month of varying quality. They tended to be at least a year old. Some of them were platform exclusives like Uncharted or something like that. And some of them were from indie developers. And it was reasonable. There were two vaguely, you know, vaguely well-received games and some discounts and things like that. So the price for PlayStation Plus, so you get your online player, so you can play your Call of Duty or your whatever else against your friends. You had to have that in order to make it sort of a useful thing unless you were just playing local stuff and the two free games was about 40 quid a year. So not an awful lot of money, but still a vague feeling of you selling the blades. You know, you buy a console to play with your friends. Chances are you're a fairly serious gamer. If you've got a console to play it with your friends, it was 40 quid. Ah, but they chucked in some games as well. And then the PlayStation Now was if you wanted a bigger back catalogue. Then into the market, and you and I both have this at the moment, is Xbox with their uh, Xbox accounts and their Xbox Gold account, which gives you a massive back catalogue, including games that have just come out. So you and I both played the Rainbow Six Extraction game, which was exclusive. It wasn't exclusive to Xbox. You can get it on PlayStation and PC as well, but you got it for free if you were an Xbox Games Pass customer. And that is a massively compelling thing. And I think Microsoft were probably eating the lunch saying that Microsoft have got much deeper pockets than Sony and can afford to give that away. And they own lots of games publishers now. Um, so it, it's, it's just quite an interesting thing. So Sony have reacted to this by coming up with the, the, a new subscription service, which is more like the Xbox Gold way, which sort of bundles in PlayStation Now and PlayStation Plus and makes accessible a certain amount of back catalogue for about the same sort of money, about £15 a month, that Xbox Gold is. Yeah, I, I, I think it's the right move on Sony, isn't it? Xbox were trailblazers, did it. It's been hugely successful, very well-received. And so I, th I think it's... For me, I think I think Tony doing the right thing. I'm curious to see. Actually, it sounds good, but what's the reality look like? That's, that's where I want to get. Yeah, you, you want to see the games. I mean, if, if they're giving big, you know, first party games away, like Gran Turismo, for example, as part of this, then it's a very compelling thing. It might upset somebody who's spent seventy to ninety quid in Gran Turismo, but that's the kind of game that you'd want to see. Fair enough, you could still have in-app purchase in it, but you'd want to see on a service like this. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like they're not going to be giving that kind of game away so quickly on, on launch day from, from how it reads. And I'm comfortable with that because if I really want it, I'll, but I want to see some good games in there that may be six months old or something. So that's where I'm at with it. I, I'm curious to see it and I probably will go for it if, if that is the case. And if it's not the case, then I'll just buy the odd game like I do now because yeah. it'll probably work out the same money. 120 quid, 120 quid ish, $120 certainly a year is not an insignificant amount of money. But if you get an awful lot of high quality games for it, it becomes more palatable. Most gamers probably only buy five or six games tops a year. You know, they might buy the Call of Duty, they might buy the Gran Turismo, they might buy whatever it is. So it's got to be a compelling offer. So they've got to put the money where their mouth is a little bit. Yeah, agreed. It'll be good to see how it plays out. I think it's June, isn't it, at launch? Let's, let's report back. I'm sure we will later in the year because I'm sure there'll be a free trial. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Particularly, we'll get some level of it on the service we have now. So, no, that's good. Good. I think that does it for gaming. Shall we move on to the main show? Yeah, definitely. Let's do it. So, 
I kind of want to, on uh, having talked about Apple Arcade, I wonder if it's a little worth a little discussion about what used to be just iCloud, but is now you know a far more expansive service than iCloud, and and how that goes. My daughter's boyfriend was bought his first Mac for his birthday, so turned eighteen. His very nice parents bought him a MacBook Pro, not even a MacBook Air, M1. Very excited to get it. Nice color, completely out of the blue from. Delighted to sign in. Signed in, his mum had the iCloud account. He already had an iPhone. Signed in, and there was his mum's iCloud photo library sitting on the device. They had no idea at all that there was such a thing as a family plan for iCloud and had absolutely refused to pay for it right from the get-go. All they thought it was, was they're trying to upsell me five gigs of storage for my phone. Wow, okay, that is poor. Because a lot of people probably going to have that perception, aren't they? But I'm not surprised, because who, who talks you through it? Like, if you don't go into an Apple store, who talks you through it? Again, you, we talk about Apple One Premiere earlier. You're right, we're probably the only people that are configured that way. But you can set up an Apple family without having all of that as well can't you like you don't need to go and buy a subscription but i'm um, interesting that they knew nothing about it but like i said i don't think i'm that surprised because i don't know maybe maybe this is where apple needs to do a better job of selling this selling the services well i i absolutely think there is because people have had iphones for multiple years now the chances are you've had one you've, you've had one before because you're going to upgrade at some point to a newer one or you're coming from android to it there's a lot of people and you know apple's market share isn't going down it's going up so people are making use of it all of these people they get their new device they fire up they use it for can't be much more than two weeks with how good the cameras are these days they're going to start getting pestered to be told that they're running out of space in the device buy some icloud now icloud is a storage space for stuff and even that's not well described as far as i'm concerned if you look at icloud it's the best place to store all of your things so that could be if you've just got an iphone your photographs but you go into the files app or you fire up keynote on your phone or you fire up something else you're actually starting to store that stuff there as well as well as device backups these days so if you've got a 64 gig phone and you start making backups of it you're going to fill up that icloud space really fast yeah, it is bonkers, isn't it? And look, I did put backups in the uh, show notes just to remind everybody out there, it is worth going in to settings on your phone, into backups and seeing what backups are in iCloud under managed storage because you can delete out old iPhones or iPads you may have had and free up some space. I find it really interesting though. So I certainly know that people in the village where I, I was talking to them and I was like, oh, look, I've got it set up so my, my children have their own iPads and their own accounts and they can IM me and they're all part of the family. And they're like, oh, how do you do it? And I've set it up for a few people because they just don't know how to do it. They, I think they're worried that, well, if I move to a family, is it going to be really complicated? But actually what I've learned, like with my own children, set them up their own Apple ID so that actually as they progress through life, they're, they're building up their own set of photos, largely screen grabs with them they've got their own messages account and so that we can start just slowly getting them used to this world of computing that you know as they hit secondary school they suddenly get you know have a phone and be thrust into it we've been trying to take the edges off it whereas i think actually if we'd have not known about this and just added them on or had them signed into our account because some friends of ours were like oh my son gets all my text alerts on his ipad and it's just like oh wow you don't really want that do you that's a bit a bit rubbish frankly so yeah, so I, I, there's, a, there's a failure by Apple to explain what this is and why people actually want it. And frankly, still only giving 
five gigabytes of storage or whatever the minimum is that you get with a new device these days is ridiculous. You know, they should be giving at least 50 gigs for a phone. It should be the, at least the same size as the phone you buy. If you buy a 64 gig phone, you should get 64 gigs of storage, frankly, you know, for what's on there. That should be the minimum. I understand server space and hard disk space costs, but, you know, if you've just dropped somewhere between 500 and 1200 quid in a phone, the least they could do is give you a little bit of cloud storage space to store the thing on. Well, I think two things here. One, the five gig. I think Steve Jobs announced the five gig, so that shows how old it is. He's sadly passed away over 10 years ago. Two, I don't think you need to give exact the same space as the device you get because you don't back up 100% of the device because the apps will re-download and what have you. But I, I do agree. I think the five gig is a paltry amount in this day and age. Yeah, so if you take one picture with a reasonable camera, you're ta- probably talking 30 megs, 35 megs a picture with, with one of the newer iPhone cameras. It's only a couple of meg. I looked at this today. You export a Heath file on your Mac. Oh, really? Yeah. So Heath is the internal format that they, they, they used to the whatever, be it five megs, be it 30 megs. And that's, there's more follow-up for us for, to write in the show notes that we need to follow, uh, call back on. Is that, you know, it's not enough. If it's five gigs and it doesn't matter the size of it, you take a few pictures, you know, you put a few things on there, you take a couple of movies and with some of the HDR modes or 4K modes on the iPhones, it's going to go really, really quickly. So upgrading to so iCreate. You took a telephoto photo today and it's 4.7 mega according to Apple Photos, but you're right, that isn't exported out, yeah. so I will try that. So moving to iCloud Plus, they charge you an amount of money for it. The bottom tier is 50 gigabytes, the middle tier is 200 gigabytes, and the top tier is 2 terabytes of storage. I notice as I'm scrolling through Apple's page here that it's still available in Russia. I wonder what's happened with them. Do they Have they been cut off from iCloud Plus? I don't know. I've no idea. Yep, so hopefully, hopefully they have. I don't know. Uh, the United Kingdom, the 50 gigabyte plan is 79p a month, the 200 gigabyte plan is £2.49 a month, and the 2 terabyte plan is 6 99 a month. So a family with Max should really be encouraged to go on the two terabyte plan because of the amount of data that could be generated that's stored in iCloud. For for full disclosure's sake, we store this podcast in some of my iCloud uh, f- plan that's available to me in the two terabytes, and we're you know I, I haven't scratched the surface of it. It's nice to have that wiggle room for all the devices, and there are quite a few of them in my family to back up to to take the pose to take the photos onto to store the files on. It just makes sense to do it, and just I mean it's just to come back to what we've already been saying that. It's, it's just crazy to me that you have got this minimal thing which can cause such damage that, you know, an 18-year-old or a 19-year-old kid is potentially getting his mum's text messages and vice versa. That's not necessarily a situation you want to be in. No, it's not good. And I think if you rush to set up a device when somebody's young and in your family, the it can then last for years later. Like you say, you know, your daughter's boyfriend in this scenario, he's probably been using his mum's account for ages. And then all of a sudden sets up a brand new spangly device, doesn't understand it. Oh, that could be awkward. But your first your first run experience, that's not what you want at all, is it? I, 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 you just think of the mess people will have untangling all these purchases going back. It's It, it just must be a horrific, horrific state of affairs. So I, I think my the moral of the story is that we, as Apple enthusiasts, obviously do a bad job of telling our friends about it and you know being being able to manage this stuff. But Apple themselves are doing a bad job in explaining what all this stuff's for and fundamentally what it's for. Yeah, I think that's true. Like we use screen time quite a bit in my house with the children. And that's taken me a while to understand that actually I thought I had to go and change all the screen time stuff on their iPad. Yeah, I'm on, on their iPad. I want them to now have this app. I can do all of it for my iPhone. I don't need to go in as them because I'm the guardian or the parent in the family account. But I didn't realize that. So I 
I was doing it all on their devices for ages. And then I realized, oh, look, I can just tap on their name. And I do think Apple need to come up with a better way of explaining the features, having more of a guide. Because you go into settings and there's not a lot of help in there. But they could easily have help icons, break it out. Like, what does this mean if I turn on or off private relay, hide my email? What does iCloud Drive mean? You know, give me some more detail around it. Because you've got all the knowledge base articles. It just it feels like they're missing a trick there. Yeah, I agree with you. And the, there's deeper stuff there as well, like blocking their access to the App Store to install certain apps. So for a while, I didn't want one of my kids to download Snapchat for reasons I won't go into, particularly on a podcast. But once you've already downloaded it and you've initiated it as a family, can you stop other people in the family from then downloading it? No idea. Well, you can, but the amount you have to lock the device down to do so is really, really... And I'm nerdy enough to work my way through the menus and Google what I need to find out and all the rest of it, and it ultimately can be done. But you're almost at the point of installing things like MDM software, which is corporate management software for managing iPads and iOS devices and other devices as well. I didn't have to. I've worked out a way of doing it, using locks and keys and all manner of bits and pieces. But it's that kind of functionality you want as a parent. It seems to be the same as what you want as a system administrator. They need to make that stuff easier. So there is a whole world under the surface here. And I know other podcasts whinge about family sharing features for things like photographs. That why are they still not exposed within iCloud? You know, if you're all in a family and you you know Google, I've done this for years. Where they go, oh, this looks like somebody you know. Oh, this looks like your your spouse, your 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 daughter, your son, whatever. Would you like to automatically share these kinds of photographs with them? And you can do it. And you think, why are, Why are, isn't that built into you know the various Apple products that they make available? Or they could triangulate that, oh, look, it looks like you and your family were together. We share the photos with these people. Yeah. I'm quite happy to share all my photos with my wife, apart from the ones where I'm taking photos of something I might buy her for a present <laughs> around Christmas time. And, and that it's just as a reminder to me to look at when I get home kind of thing. But yeah, I'm, so I do like iCloud. I love it. I think it's really good. I've got all the features. I was just checking out, but everything turned on. I've got it all set for my kids, but I think I've been lucky in that when they got their iPads a few years ago, they set their own iCloud accounts. I've done everything as them on their devices. We do run a family. We're all part of it. I shared the, some of the family with my father-in-law so that he can back up all his photos because he wouldn't pay for the extra cloud storage, but would equally be miffed if he lost all his photos. I'd happily give Apple a little bit more money to add a few more people into my family, uh, you know, some more of the grandparents just so we could build it out. And so I've got everybody covered, though, because it's just easier if I take care of it and I'm happy to, to spend a couple of quid on it. So I do wish I could increase the tier from six. I do wonder if you've got a big family with lots of kids in it, what you do. I think I think it's a good service. I think a lot of what they do is great, how it syncs everything if you're in that world. But equally, I think people probably don't turn any of it off. It's all turned on by default. So they're probably hemorrhaging space without really knowing about it. Yeah, I think and we know what they do, though. Most people don't do anything and they just, you know, they deal with one account and they have it on all the devices and I think it's a problem. <laughs> yeah, no, I no, agreed. But I don't know what we do about that because once you start in that avenue, it's hard then to back out of it, isn't it? Yeah, it's just interesting. And again, we were talking about things we'd like to see in the, the Apple do at WWC. And I think surfacing this kind of stuff and making it easier for people and trying to understand balanced with them not looking like money-grabbing arseholes. I should probably shouldn't use that. But balanced with them looking like money-grabbing um, people. I think, you know, it, it, it's it, it's difficult for them in, in the realms of antitrust and things. But it's such a fundamental part of a device, you know, these days that they, they need to do a better job of it. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Is there anything else you wanted to cover on, on iCloud? 
No, I think that's that's done it for now. But it's a space I want to watch, and I, you know, I want to report back on a new Mac user really, and and their experiences of these kinds of things. So I am going to drop in from time to time and see how they get on because it it's a proper unvarnished. He's been watching people with Macs for years. My daughter does a graphics class. She uses Adobe Illustrator very very, and is quite proficient at the things she needs to do on there. So she knows exactly what she wants to do in her Mac and can do it, you know, without hassle. Whereas he's kind of going, well, how do I do this? How do I do that? And I'm trying. I I don't want to get involved other than you should set up an iCloud family account so you don't get your mum's text messages. So I'm curious to see how it goes. And also you don't want your mum getting your text messages. No, you do not. <laughs> Thankfully they use Snapchat. It's not all on, on message, but uh, there's other stuff there too, so I don't want to know. Good. So the other thing I want to talk about, which is kind of related, is HomeKit. So you mentioned your IKEA blinds in the last episode. Yeah, blinds. You, awesome. you love your IKEA blinds. And I've got a couple of HomeKit devices. What I want to know is why is HomeKit so bad? So I think the concept home kit's good. I think I love, I've got everything in my rooms. I can set my scenes up. Getting some of the kit into home kit is hard. Like adding the IKEA stuff, you've got to install the IKEA app, then go in there and turn on the integration. I've got a bunch of plugs from Eve as well. That They seem pretty good. Again, I needed the Eve app to get me up and running, do all the firmware. I think the problem with home kit is one, it's a bit slow. I think two, it's unreliable. How often do I come down? And for whatever reason, our family room lights are turned on. I don't know why. My wife's like, why is the family room lights on? I'm like, well, I don't know. We've all been in bed. And then I've got a Honeywell thermostat. And that is hit or, mi- hit or miss whether that will work. I don't get why it's like that. So everything in my house, I put into HomeKit. I'm not running um, HomeBridge or any software on my Mac to try and fudge in. I think I'm using all the legitimate equipment. Even my Eero routers do HomeKit. So I've got everything set up for HomeKit, but yet it seems a bit slow, falls over every now and again, lights randomly come on. But then tonight, came down to my cabin, I said to Siri, open cabin, and it opened my blinds and it all worked. But it still amazes me when it works. You still get, oh, it worked. And I didn't, I didn't have to do anything or do manual intervention. So... I'm very mixed on it. It's not as robust. I wonder whether we didn't get many updates like last year, like with the home app at all, barely got touched because thread is coming and matter. And I wonder whether it's all going to change and they're waiting for that. that. That's kind of what I'm holding on to because I think we're going to have to rebuy. Like the plugs I use, they come with thread built in in the newer version. Mine don't have it because I've got the older version. But I wonder whether that's it's all going to start going down this thread avenue and it will change as, as we get more of a standard matter. I kind of take task with it a little bit. And so I did in my explainer in chief thing, HomeKit is Apple's version of smart devices for your home, or at least a standard that smart devices for your home can ascribe to. So a light bulb can publish itself as a light bulb to HomeKit. The Apple Home app knows how to do that. It knows it's a light bulb. It can turn on and off. You can assign some times to it. If it's a color changing one, you can change the colors on it. Smoke detectors and garage door openers and other bit security, home security cameras and all sorts of bits and pieces as well. They can all be controlled in one central location. And the one central location is managed if you, on an Apple TV, if you have an Apple TV. I think the older, bigger home pods could act as home kit hubs as well. And if you've got an iPad that stays in the house, then that can do it too. Recently, Macs have been able to act as HomeKit hubs, but only very recently. It was only an iOS-based device that could do it out of the the gate. All of that is tied together in an app on your phone, and the idea would be that if I turn on my lights on my phone, then my wife can turn them off on her iPad, and you can shout at Siri and ask it to do the same sort of thing. I didn't say the trigger word there. I think I'm okay with that particular mention. So that's all very good, but I had 
the Amazon-based devices for a little while as well, which have their own version of HomeKit. And it was far more reliable and far quicker than Siri has ever been. And considering I've got Siri on my wrist, on my phone, on my iPad, if I shout it into the air, one of my HomePods will hear me as well and tell it to turn out the lights while we've been recording this podcast, actually, my lights turned out. It will think about it and it'll go, okay, checking. Oh, I'm sorry, I don't know how to do that. One time out of 10 or something like that. And that lack of reliability, which you hinted at there, Chris, where your, where your light's randomly coming on and things happening around the time, is a real worry for something you want to depend on. I don't think it's good enough to say it's going to be fixed with thread or it's going to be fixed with matter because these things have been in the market for at least 10 years now. I've had smart plugs in the house. I've had smart cameras. I've had all manner of bits and pieces around the house. And it, I know it worked with the Amazon product. And I know it worked with the Google product slightly less reliably than the Amazon one. So there's something specific about Apple's implementation of talking to these devices. And it may be, as you've said, because you've got to buy IKEA's hub or you've got to buy Philips hub for your light bulb to get these things to work. But it's really just not good enough. And saying we're going to fix it with technology and you've got to buy it again is not a good answer. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to buying stuff again. And I've got a ring doorbell at the moment. And I kind of want to get a HomeKit doorbell without using HomeBridge. I'm waiting for the Logitech one to come out. But I'm like, is it going to work or do I just wait? This should be right on my avenue. This is tech. I've got all the iOS stuff. It should just work. But I don't know. I'm a little, I've, I've kind of gone into HomeKit and then I've paused because I'm a bit, it's a bit, it's a bit unreliable and I can't be bothered. Yeah. And I think that's the problem with it is that people are getting kind of burnt at this stuff and it's not that life changing in many ways. It's nice, but I can still turn a light on and off on my finger if I want to. And I, I can still just go into my, my doorbell apps you know, web view and yep. see what's going on. So it's in some ways, I feel HomeKit is actually adding a complication to all of this stuff rather than making it simpler. I, th- I think you're right. It's added a complication and it's a bit slower. And I think they need to deal with that. I don't get the speed thing. Like you say, if others can do it quicker, you'd have thought Apple could do it just as quick. Yeah. Um, but they've got the same complaint with Siri, haven't they? Just doing general things, it seems slower. And they kind of need that. We just need to just engineer things to be quicker and we will start winning hearts and minds of people. Well, I find it's ironic that they've got the fastest silicon that can do, you know, with the best battery that can respond in such a way, and they've saddled it to the worst, you know, assistant. And that assistant has been put on everything and performs even worse than it does with all this amazing hardware. I disable Siri on my Mac. I won't allow it. never used it on the Mac, to be honest. Whenever, when I did used to use Mac, I don't use it on my iPad. Occasionally I use it on my watch, but I get frustrated because... Often it gets it wrong. Even my children think it's funny when Siri gets it wrong and you ask it to play a song or something in the car and it just goes, I'm playing Bon Jovi. And it's like, no, I asked for Queen or something. And it's like, how did you get those two words mixed up? So. Yeah, and that, again, we touched on this last week, that's not funny in a, in a world where you can't pick up your phone and ask it to do things in, in the car anymore. You need to tell it to do things. And if and bringing it back to HomeKit, the interface to it is too unreliable and it, it's not dependable. And then you add in the speed of the slowness and then you add in well, the, the, the problem of adding devices. For, I can, uh, the, I've got a television over my shoulder there that's meant to be HomeKit compatible. I added it. It took me seven or eight goes to add it, i got to say, scanning its QR code and thinking about it and with no real idea why it was going wrong. You know, some error dialogues would be good, Apple, and more things than that. Come back to iCloud, we can talk about some errors in there as well. But why would I want to add a TV at home? What does it bring me? Does it switch on? I, you haven't sold it to me, and I know about tech stuff. I think the, the benefit of adding your telly is, yeah, you can just turn it on and off on your phone. You can change the input source. You don't need to get off your butt and get the remote. 
so that that is the one benefit of it i often do use the app on my iphone to control my apple tv you know where you can go remote and control center because my kids have hidden the remote and they're like no we don't need to go to bed and it's like well i'll just turn off the tv yeah and that, that's not that's not the same thing though is it that's the that's the apple remote app for the apple tv and and i can turn on my tv with its remote and if i turn on the apple tv it turns on the tv anyway because it gets the hdmi cec signal so i don't need an app on my, you know my home kit app to turn my tv on and off no but home kit will allow you to change the input source and all of those things on it if you want to um do you know what i added everything onto HomeKit and then I've actually taken things off. So I did use HomeBridge for a while and I thought, no, this is just introducing more unreliability, turn it off. I then, TVs that do HomeKit, I've taken them out because I'm not using it. I thought, actually, let's have less chatty devices on the network and hopefully that will help everything else be more reliable. Yeah, and from a, a very geeky techie point of view, if you try and create a separate VLAN for your devices on, on your network. So I wanted a more secure VLAN for my home-enabled devices, particularly when I was using more cheap, no-name plugs and things like that. It's really hard to get the firewall to open through HomeKit because it spams various ports to try and get things through. It really doesn't want to be locked down to two or three ports or even five or six ports. It wants all of the ports right, open. Okay. So it may make you know connections to whatever it feels like making as it goes through it. And it almost becomes untenable to be able to maintain HomeKit devices on a Vila. And that's not good enough either. If you're trying to have, you know, Apple are meant to be uh, the champions of security from this point of view. And they're making my network less secure by making me, you know, not have the right sort of VLAN settings for it. So I, I didn't like that either. Kind of the champions of security and it just works. And yet it feels like we've got neither on this scenario. Yeah. So I think there's bits I like about HomeKit. It should be a great thing and I can see the promise of it. And I think that's why I'm still buying the odd device and, and ma- trying to make it work with it. And I do run a HomeBridge to make my doorbell talk and it works okay. Not Like I said, not as well as the actual application itself. And my Hue light bulbs work okay, but again, not as well as the Hue application itself. And some things I need still to go there for to run automations and things like that. So I, I like the promise, but as seems to be apparent with you, I'm becoming more disillusioned with it. And I don't know that the next and greatest generation of, of thread or matter is going to change my opinion on that. Yeah, I think I agree with you. I, and I did add my doorbell in and I loved it. Like when it popped up and I'm watching TV and I could see a preview. And I, and I do like the idea of having less apps and it, I would just go to one place for stuff. But I kind of want to see version two of HomeKit. And I, th- I think that's what matter is going to bring. So I am holding on for that, if I'm honest. Good. I think we can call that a show, Chris. Yeah, I think so. It was a good one. It was a good one. I think next week, I I was hoping to talk about it this week, but we've gone a bit long. We're uh, almost over an hour at this point. I want to talk a little bit about how you feel about it, virtualization on the Mac and things like that. So it's nice to actually tease a topic for once rather than just... uh, Okay, I get unless Apple buy Nintendo, but yeah, I'm on board, I'm on board with doing that topic next time. That's going to be our standard thing unless Apple buy Nintendo. I like it. Good stuff. All right, well, cheers, Rod. Uh, thanks for that. And uh, if anyone wants to get in contact, drop us an email at wakefromsleep at protonmail.com or reach out to us on Twitter at WFS underscore podcast. Love to hear, f- hear your feedback. Till next week, see you soon. See you next week, Chris. Cheers, Rod. Cheers.